Well, welcome to the Sermonary Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Taylor, and my guest today is Daniel Darling. And Daniel is a best-selling author. He's a pastor. He's a podcast host. Uh, he has served uh, for six years as the Vice President for Communications with the uh, National Religious Liberties uh, or Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, uh, and now serves as the uh, communications director for the National uh, Religious Broadcasters. And Daniel is, uh, he's the author of several books. One of them is The Characters of Christmas, which I would like to have you back on to discuss that one as we get closer to Christmas time, because it's a great book and really got a lot of momentum last Christmas. Uh, just seeing it everywhere. But today we're talking about your new book, which is called Away with Words, Using Our Online Conversations for Good. So Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Josh. I'm honored to be to be on here and, and love the work that you're doing uh, here with Sermonary. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're really excited to have you. Uh, I love this book because it's a timely book, which uh, I don't think, well, I know that you didn't anticipate everything that's happening in our world today uh, that we're dealing with. And uh, so the first question that I really have for you with this book is why did you decide to write a book about how Christians behave on social media? Well, it, it, it's, uh, there's, there's really two things. Uh, one, the first is just, uh, I've, I've always loved words, you know, uh, ever since I was a kid, um, you know, I, I was reading early on, you know, four or five years old, my, my parents say, and we got three newspapers every day delivered to the house. And I was reading those reading books. We didn't have a TV, so it was either reading or listening to the radio. So I've always loved words. Um, as, as, as long as I've, you know, been able to read. And um, in junior high, I had a teacher encourage me to, in my writing, she, you know, I turned in some assignments uh, for English composition. And she said, you know, Dan, I actually think you have some talent here. Which, you know, when you're in junior high, middle school, it's a weird time, you're awkward, you don't you know who you are and all this stuff. And for her to say, here's something I think that you're actually good, you're, you're good at, and you should pursue was huge. And so I just continued to do that. I've, I had folks encourage that and nurture that. And I've always, I've always loved words, whether it's um, writing words or reading words, putting words together. Um, and I, if you think about my, my career, it's, it's basically been about words, whether I'm preaching or hosting a podcast or doing, you know, filling in on the radio or uh, working in communications for, uh, a few different Christian organizations. That's basically been, you know, I get paid to, to, to write words essentially, or to think about words or however. Um, and so that's kind of been my life, uh, words and the Bible has a lot to say about words. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a God who speaks, you know, the Genesis opens up with uh, a God who speaks which is amazing. And then a God who speaks the world into existence. And then mm. Jesus is described as the Logos, the word of God. And all through scripture, really, you have uh, admonitions about the shape of our words. I mean, much of Proverbs is devoted to uh, the shape of our words. James talks about the words that 
leaders use about those who are in ministry and, and how powerful they are as image bearers of mm-hmm. God. One of the ways that distinguishes us from the rest of creation is that we communicate at a very high level. I mean, animals could communicate in some ways, right? If you have a pet, whatever, but you know, an animal is not going to write a novel. They're not going right. to write a speech. They're not going to run for office. <laughs> and so the, part of the way that we image God is the highway we communicate. We, we image a communicating God. So that's the long reason. The short reason also is that we are in this digital age. Mm-hmm. It's never been easier to publish. It's never been easier to press send with a few strokes of the keyboard or taps of our thumb. We can publish our innermost thoughts if we want and send them out to the world. Uh, I don't believe God has called us to live in another age. I think he's called us to live in 2020. He's not called us to go back to the 1950s or to suddenly become Amish. So the question is, how do we steward this moment? How do we steward this opportunity that we have where we can communicate and use our words uh, digitally online in a way that really brings glory to God, but also encourages and lifts up the body of Christ? That's, that's really interesting. And, and I've never really thought about it that way, but we do hear it. And, and, you know, we usually kind of portray it to the older generations, but I even find myself doing it. I'm in my mid thirties and still think, man, if we could just go back to the good old days, or even me saying, I'm so thankful that social media was not around when I was in high school and how much that has probably saved me. Uh, but I think that's so interesting that, you know, you make the point of God has called us to live right now. And as much as most of us don't like to think about 2020 and all that has come with 2020, God has called us to be here right now. And how do we steward that? And I think that your book speaks to that, uh, obviously, as we, uh, even the church moving, I mean, almost being forced to move into the digital age. I mean, how many um, churches are live streaming now that we're not live streaming, you know, six months ago, how many churches are doing online groups and those kind of things. And so, uh, and so I think that's really interesting that, that the point that you make of, of being here and right now. So with that said, uh, you know, there's a lot of Christians that are very active on social media. There are a lot of pastors that are very active on social media. And I know that you wrote this book with an election in mind, but then when your book launched, it was, it was in the midst of a pandemic. It's in the midst of a lot of racial tension in our country uh, and and an extremely, probably one of the most polarizing elections that we've had in the history, or at least in the, in modern history of our country. Um, So how does your book speak to, from a pastor's perspective, perspective, because I know that you've, you've been a pastor and, and, and still pastor. From a pastor's perspective, how do you see your role on social media? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I do think, and I talk a lot about this in the book, I do think Christian leaders really need to take their platform seriously and steward it well. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a pastor of a small church or a big church, or if you're leader of a Christian organization, or you just you're a writer, or someone has a big following, we need to take our our social media platform seriously in a number of ways. I think number one, we have to recognize that we are in public when we are on social media. And oh, let me stop be- you right there because I think that that's a that's a really good point. What does that mean? Um, because one of the conversations that I've had with a pastor is it's my personal social media. It's, it's, 
it's me, it's my thoughts. Why can't I have my own opinions? But would you say that when a pastor is public on social media, that he's also representing his church and what his church believes? I would say that. And so what I would say is when we're, we're on social media, we're in public. Mm -hmm. So I encourage pastors and leaders to engage and use social media. This, these are where the conversations are happening. And I actually think you can have disagreements and uh, I want to say arguments, dis- discussions, if they're in good faith, back and forth. Uh, but I do think we have to recognize that we are in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so even if you only have, let's say you have 500 followers on Twitter, which is not, diver- not very difficult for most people, fill a room with 500 people and get up in front and speak. Mm-hmm. Would you say the things to that room that you would you might be more free to say on Twitter or on Facebook? Imagine if you have ten thousand. Imagine if you have twenty thousand, thirty thousand. You know, then you're filling stadiums. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, just understand you're in public. People are watching you, even if they don't engage, they're watching you. The second thing I would say about leaders is that leaders set the tone. Paul said to Timothy, like set an example in, in the way that you walk, and. What leaders do in moderation, they give permission to their followers to do in excess. So the way that you model disagreement and charity and opinions, you are setting forth a model for your, those who follow you. So just understand that. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think we also have to think that in some ways, a pastor, particularly his social media could be the front door to their church. Yeah, and so there's there's ways that pastors can turn off people, uh, and I wrote an article about this, but I'll just go through a couple of them. I think the first, so I'm going to offend two sets of people here. Just <laughs> That's tr- always trigger, war- trigger warning. <laughs> the first the first way that I think pastors can can really hijack themselves on social media is to kind of try to be a right wing pundit. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I'm conservative politically, but. If all you're tweeting is, or retweeting, or posting on Facebook is conservative right-wing stuff, the most extreme things, you may agree with that. I have no problem with that. But just know that you're showing people this is what they're going to get in a church. People are going to look and say, what kind of church am I getting? Um, or is or is a pastor you know, na- nasty or mean online? Um, it's okay to have opinions and speak out on issues, but remember you're, you're a pastor, not a pundit. You're a shepherd. Mm-hmm. The second way we can hijack ourselves is to try to be a left-wing pundit. And I see a lot of pastors doing this where they are, gonna, they are the self-appointed prophet against everything wrong with conservative evangelicalism. And all day, every day, they're just shredding evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And I want to say to them, do you know that the people in your church are the, like you're, you're, you're shredding those people, um, the people you're walking in and engaging with. So you're letting them know that how you really think about them. So I just think you're, again, you're a shepherd, you're a pastor, not a pundit. I also think if a pastor or a leader is a jerk online, they don't engage with humility and with kindness, even in disagreement, you know, they're setting a tone. And the interesting thing is that Christians sometimes feel like, well, if I'm on the right side of an issue, it doesn't matter how I speak. Right. I'm right. And the truth is the scripture cares that we stand up for truth and urges us to, but also cares about the shape of our words and how we do it. 
Let me ask you this, because you, you said something about engaging, you know, and not engaging as a jerk. Do you think it's important? What does it say when a pastor maybe just throws out social media stuff um, and people start engaging with them, but they don't engage back? You think that's important as well? So I have some thoughts about how, whether or not to engage. And, and, and it's harder um, the older the older we or the, the more of a platform we have, you're, the more mm-hmm. engagement you're going to have. So my, my thinking is this. I think it's great when pastors engage, uh, even with folks who disagree with them or, or leaders. You know, if you post something and, and someone pushes back, um, it's good to engage, provided that the person engaging is in good faith. Mm-hmm. So if you can have a good faith engagement where you can disagree, but disagree in a way that is civil and, and can have a good back and forth and can end that conversation well. Um, even if you viscerally disagree, you can do that. You know, I will try to say something like, you know, I don't think I land in the same place as you do, but you raise some good points or this is, you know, thank you for the conversation. Yeah. But there are some who are not in good faith. You know, there are some who are just trolls. It's a small <laughs> percentage, but they're loud they're trolls. They want to have an argument. They like to, you know, they wake up every day thinking, who can we take down? And you're not going to win with them. And if they're not arguing in good faith, you don't owe them a response and you don't have to respond. And in fact, I don't think it's really helpful to do that. Uh, Now the, the, the pitfall for some leaders is to think everybody who critiques them or everybody who disagrees is a troll and not worth engaging. And I think that's a, that's a trap too. So we have to be yeah. discerning there. That's good. Um, so on pastors uh, and, and pastor social media, one of the things that I've seen a lot, especially with a lot of the tensions that are happening in our country right now is uh, pastors feeling pressured to respond to something that happens in the news immediately. Uh, and, and a lot of times if they don't respond quick enough, they have people from their church or people that follow them saying, I can't believe you haven't said anything about this. And a lot of pastors like to take their time, figure out, you know, get the details and be able to provide wisdom. What would you say to pastors that maybe feel that pressure to rush to judgment often? See, I I actually encourage pastors to be thoughtful about that. Um, uh, James 119 says, let everyone be quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. In the internet age, we might say, let everyone be quick to read the whole story slow to post, slow to internet rage. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for us to, to make sure we get the, the whole story. Like, let's get the whole story before we jump on a news item, especially if it confirms our priors. <laughs> I encourage pastors to anybody, but particularly if, in a, if you're in a place of leadership, to be slow to kind of jump on a news story and have an opinion until you, we know. There's a lot of times where something breaks and everybody jumps on it. And then we find out a couple of days later, there was actually more nuance to the story. There's more facts. Actually, it was disproven. Um, and you know, you can embarrass yourself, number one, but number two, really spread disinformation, mm-hmm. right? Because, and we're seeing that in a political season on both sides. So we got to resist that urge. We have to be careful about that. Uh, there are times and pastors really need to speak out when there's a big national moment or something like that. But this idea that 
you have to be as mad as I am about the same issue as I am at the same time as I am on the same medium as I am is really mm -hmm. ridiculous. Um, yeah. 20 years ago, I didn't know what some pastor of a mid-sized church five states away thought about a global crisis. They weren't spitting out statements. And all of a right. sudden we say, well, you've got to speak up. You got to, you got to say something. Why, you know, my favorite is why are evangelical leaders silent on this? It's like, maybe they're not silent. Maybe they're talking to their elders right now. Maybe they're mm -hmm. in the midst of writing a book or writing a manuscript. Maybe they're visiting someone in the hospital. Right. Um, so do not give into that pressure. It's okay if you say nothing for a few days to get the whole story straight. Now you may say, Hey, listen, I know enough about this. I have an opinion about this. I'm going to speak out. I do think it's good for pastors to speak out and, and leaders, even if it's controversial. But let's make sure we get the, you know, we, we Christians should be about the truth and mm -hmm. not um, just advancing a narrative that agrees with our opinion. But what is the truth here? What actually happened here? I've seen a lot of people turned off by pastors who are quick to the trigger on social media and whether it's, you know, left or right or however, jumping on a story and it really makes you look bad. Um, yeah. So I think we have to be well, wise. One, one of the things that you posted, you actually posted it this morning. I loved it. Um, it was, uh, you, you're pulling from a book from Eugene Peterson mm -hmm. and it said, uh, it says Eugene Peterson cuts away at elitism here by reminding us of the people God calls to make up his church. Ordinary flaws, sometimes annoying with political opinions we may not share. I'm afraid there is an incentive on social media to show the world we are not like those other Christians, how we are more sophisticated or educated or enlightened. And I, I really loved that, that post. I loved what you put there to summarize uh, Peterson's um, thoughts because it's so true. We're seeing uh, I think we're, we're trying to see some Christians try to feel like they need to balance out other Christians and, mm -hmm. you know, post, uh, you know, basically responding to situations, even when we don't have the whole story and, and yeah. coming out with, with, with judgments or, or, or our opinions before everything has been laid out. So for pastors, we're coming up on a very polarizing election. Uh, we've got a lot of racial tension. We've got the this pandemic. We've got thoughts on uh, how uh, you know uh, how our government should should deal with the pandemic, how churches should deal with the pandemic, on all of these different things. And so, pastors, are, I, I I feel, are trying to pastor their churches wisely, and um, and but also, you know, trying to. I, I think there are a lot of them are using their sermons to make a point of, hey, how we behave on social media matters. And going back to what you said at the very beginning, words matter. So, what would you say to pastors that are trying to shepherd their church to? Um, uh, I, I don't. I don't know the right word would be to rebuke their congregation, but to um, to teach their congregation. You know, here's how here's how we need to be using social media right now. I know that your book is, is presented more to the layperson anyway, and not necessarily to pastors. Um, so how would, uh, how would, how, how should pastors navigate pastoring their churches uh, through the way that they have conversations about the election, whether it's on social media or in person, how they have conversations about all the racial tension and the pandemic and all of these different things. How would you navigate 
pastors trying to teach their church how to use words? Well, I think this is a time for shepherds, uh, pastors who shepherd and know their people. And I, I would also, uh, so this is, this means that you have to be with them. You have to know who your people are. You have to know where their unique vulnerabilities are and strengths, what their fears are and, and what their, uh, insecurities are. I think people need to hear, this is very cliche, but they need to hear good preaching from the word of God and uh, make, make application made, uh, application made to real world events. Mm -hmm. And, and in a way that makes people think and not just confirms what they already think. And that's going to be different for every context. I also think this, I've, I'm very, I'm very passionate about this. Um, before you can be prophetic to your people, you have to be pastoral. Mm -hmm. So a lot of guys, and especially fueled by the perverse incentives on social media, feel like I'm going to be the person to call everybody out. I'm going to be the person to call at the church. I'm prophetic. They get up in the morning every day and they look in the mirror and all they see is Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms in every engagement that they're ever in. <laughs> you know, they're the righteous one. And I think that's a real problem. Twitter and Facebook, but Twitter particularly incentivizes, if you let it, this kind of like, hey, I'm so much not like that other Christian. You know, I, I'm, I'm a different kind of Christian. I'm not like these other Christians that I'm embarrassed, embarrassed to know. When in actuality, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, like, basically, hey, look around and you see people that you don't love, or, or I mean, in terms of like people who embarrass you a little bit or whatever, um, people who are messed up, people who are proud, who have problems, yeah, that's the kingdom of God. That mm -hmm. the kingdom of God is made up mostly of ordinary Christians. And there's a there's a perverse incentive, I think, on social media, particularly among lead, the leadership class, of which I would put myself as a part of, to kind of say, we are better than the people we're called to serve. Mm. That that we are ashamed of the people who sent us here, in, in a sense. And I think we have to fight that. We have to be prophetic. We have to speak truth. But in a way that people know that we love them, there's also a, a danger if leaders are spending more time among their peers than with their people. Mm. Because when you're among the peers in that, and again, I learned from peers in my field, and pastors and leaders should learn from peers in their field, but there can kind of be an echo chamber, a bubble where you you're seeing a different reality than the people you're serving. Yeah. And we have to, we have to really fight that. Um, a great example of that to me is, you know, I just use sports analogies cause that's a lot of what I know, but with the whole football and COVID thing and everyone's got different opinions, should they play? Should they not? Well, the big 10 made a big decision to cancel the season and it was basically a decision made among the college presidents which makes sense. They have, they see everything. They're in charge of their institutions, but they didn't really get a pulse of their people. All the presidents, a lot of the presidents agreed we should cancel it, but the coaches weren't for it. The parents weren't for it. The players were not for it. And again, I think it was a case of, well, everybody I know agrees with this. Well, look around and who's your peer group. Right. So 
one of the things that really creates division in American life, and I think in the church is this kind of these bubbles we live in, these news mm-hmm. bubbles where you can be in a right-wing news bubble where nothing penetrates that, and, and you can be in a left-wing news bubble or a kind of mainstream media news bubble, nothing penetrates that. And I think in order to, to lead well, we have to kind of read and have input from across these different streams and socioeconomic classes. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. And I think that goes back to something that you said about why, you know, why it seems like sometimes Christians are silent. And one of the things that you said is maybe they're talking with their elders, which I think is, is something that a lot of pastors don't consider before they post something on social media is, let me get some counsel from, mm-hmm. from people who are different from me, from people who are from different walks of life than me. And, you know, and that can be scary. Because you're going you're gonna to get perspectives that you haven't thought about before that might challenge your own bias. And yes. that's something that, you know, for me, for, it's, it's been kind of fun, but a little scary and, and hurtful at times because my personality is to be the devil's advocate. So there's a lot of folks on social media that are posting things that I probably agree with. Uh, and, you know, but I always kind of push back because just because that's my personality. And sometimes it goes really personal really fast because you don't, you don't, show that you agree with them. You might present a different perspective. And so uh, I I think it's, it's scary to open yourself up to other perspectives and getting those other opinions and those other thoughts. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in it as well, because there's going to be something that you haven't thought of, or there's going to be a perspective that you haven't thought about that is very legitimate and very valid. And I I think that's wise. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, particularly I have a chapter in this book about leaders and, and stewarding your platform well, talking about platform, how should we think about it, and how to steward your social media. And that's one of the things I really recommend, particularly for leaders at a certain level where if you're going to post something that you feel you need to talk about that might be controversial, you know, talk to a few folks in your circle to say, hey, is this, am I seeing this right? How would you word this? Could I word this differently? Um, I think it's helpful. I mean, I have a text thread with with five really close friends, and I text things I would never post. You know, I, I we kind of go back and forth with some of our hottest takes when when stuff comes down. I think that's healthier than kind of processing all that um, uh, publicly, right? Absolutely, because you, you have friends that might push back and say, "No, that's you didn't see this article, or you didn't see this thing, or." Have you seen it this way? Yeah. Um, and it also buys you time and allows you to think. The, the blessing of the digital age is that you can publish immediately. Right. Uh, and that is a blessing in a lot of ways and, and how easy it is. It's also can, it also can be a, uh, a curse because uh, you, you, the time between thinking and posting can be seconds. Whereas yeah. if, you, if you think about... 20 years ago, and I did this because I was one of those people, but if I was upset about something politically or had an opinion, I would write a letter to the editor, to the Chicago Tribune or Daily Herald or sometimes where, where we lived in Chicago. But you think about that. I had to sit down and I had to actually write it or even email it and form my thoughts. And then you send it to an editor who kind of reads through it. And there's a distance there. Right. That kind of, Whereas now you can just kind of go online and post whatever's in your head. Right. And so, and I, I don't want leaders to see this as, um, 
me saying not to be engaged on social media, because I actually think we should. I, I think this is where people are having conversations, but let's recognize that we're in public and recognize what we're saying and how we're saying it and who we represent, you know, a yeah. pastor, a pastor and his personal social media, he still represents the church. He's still giving mm -hmm. people a window into this is the kind of church he, he, he would have. Now there are things that we stand up for that are controversial that no matter how kind and winsome you are, people are, they're not going to go down. Uh, they're not going to go down well uh, in the culture. Right. That's okay. That's really okay. We need bold and unapologetic pastor. At the same time, we need to watch our words. You know, First Peter 3.15 says, um, have an answer for everyone for the hope that lies within you, but do it with gentleness and kindness. So mm. have an apologetic, have an answer, speak the truth, be bold, but do it with gentleness and kindness. Yeah. So civility and courage actually can coexist and they go together. And for leaders, this is not just kind of an, oh yeah, I need to be better. But when you look at the qualifications for leaders that Paul gives to Timothy for spiritual leaders, every list, uh, the ones he gives to Timothy, ones he gives to Titus, I think ones in Ephesians, they all list temperament. They list, is he... Uh, he can't be quarrelsome. He can't be a brawler. Is he gentle? Uh, we often look at the things that disqualify leaders morally. Right. And th that's important. And we, we, we don't want to stop doing that. But he can't we be also a hothead either. <laughs> no, he can't be. It's disqualifying. And I, 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 I say in the book, and I believe this with my whole heart, a pastor who is a troll, who always operates in bad faith, who tries to find the bad in everybody else on Twitter, I think he's disqualified himself. And I always want to say, this guy leads a church. Where are his elders? Yeah. You know, some, sometimes we compartmentalize this as, well, he's a great guy in person, but he just kind of goes crazy on social media. It's like, well, you can't compartmentalize those things. Right. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I mean, this is you know, this is you. <laughs> I think social so, media in some respects, while we post pictures of the best that we can social media, I think in times like this pulls out the, the real people and the raw mm -hmm. of who they really are in a lot of these situations as well, because there is no gap between the time that they think it from the time that they, they post it. So you're, you're often seeing people's real thoughts and they have to go back, you know, a few minutes later and delete it because they reread it a few times. And I, I think that's so wise. Uh, you know, that's one thing that I recommend to pastors all the time. Uh, is to have a group of people that you can just be your raw self with and to process those thoughts and to, to, to be able to air those thoughts so that you can process them uh, well and, and think through where your error is without having to go public with it and, and save yourself a lot of embarrassment, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain down the road. So I think having people that you can just text and say, hey, here are my thoughts on this. What do you think is, uh, is very wise. So well, well, Dan, thanks so much. I, I really do appreciate your time. I think I, I appreciate your words. I think that this is so timely. And, it, and it's crazy because you have so many books that seem to be very timely. Uh, I, I remember talking with you a couple of years ago about the Dignity Revolution mm. and it's still so very relevant. You have the church and the racial divide 
uh, so very relevant. And then, um, you know, the characters of Christmas, I'm really looking forward to that. And hopefully we can have you back on to discuss that book Love that to. you released last year, because it was such a popular book for Christmas time. It's something that, that, uh, I, I encourage pastors to read, lay people to read. It's just, it's such a great book. So, uh, really do appreciate your time. How can people connect with you online? Well, they could follow me on Twitter if, if, if they could put up with my, you know, sports takes. I'm a Chicago sports fan. We won't hold um, it against you. Who that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at Dan Darling is Twitter. Um, my website is DanielDarling.com. So I have all, all my stuff there, books, podcast. If you want to listen to my podcast uh, where I interview folks weekly, uh, you can find that in your favorite podcast feeder. And then my books, you know, you can get at your favorite retailer. So uh, if you want to find out more about this book, you go to uh, uh, a waywithwordsbook.com and there's links to all the retailers there. Awesome. And we'll put a link to all of those things in the show notes as well. Uh, Daniel Darling, thanks so much. I encourage everyone to uh, check out his new book, Away With Words. I think that this is such a timely book. And then check out his other books as well. And then go to danieldarling.com and you can find all the information that you want to know about Dan. Uh, well, Dan, have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you, Josh. 